0: our springboard into what we're going to talk about this morning, and we're going to spend the majority of the time here in continuing our study through Luke and Luke 7. And let's do the smart thing. Let's pray. Father God, good to be here this morning. As always, we pray your spirit teaches, we listen, and has helped us to learn more about Christ and who he is, and Lord, his ministry, and Lord, how we can just respond to that, and how we can just take that same ministry as we minister to others. And Lord, we just want to lift this up in your name. Amen. Right, right, we're continuing our study here through the book of Luke. And uh, if you weren't with us the last couple weeks, we finished up Luke 6, which was the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, has some great teaching points in there. And once that's done now, Jesus is going back to ministering, and what you're going to see this morning in Luke 7 is going to be two miracles. First off, the uh, healing of a servant, and the second is the raising of a young man that died. Now, before we get to that of actually happened, when I was reading through this, my mind kept coming back here to Isaiah 61. Look here at Isaiah 61. Verse 1, Now, this may sound familiar to you, because Jesus quoted this passage in Luke 4. If you have to pick a mission statement for Christ... This is kind of the mission statement for Christ. It says in verse 1 of Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Which I want you to focus on here is the end of verse 2 and verse 3. Look at this. For those that are mourning, God gives comfort. For those that are mourning, God consoles. those that their life is an ash sheep, God gives beauty. For those that are mourning, he gives joy. For those that have a spirit of heaviness, he gives praise. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever thing is bringing you down, Christ says, I got the complete opposite to give you. That's what he does. So you may have come in here this morning, You may have a spirit of heaviness, you may be mourning, your life may be an ash sheep. your marriage may be an ash sheep. your your life is just falling apart, your job situation is falling apart. God says, don't worry, I got it. I can give you beauty for that, I can give you comfort for that, I can give you praise and joy for that. And that's what we're going to see here this morning. So keep Isaiah 61 in the back of your mind. Now let's look and see what happens here in Luke 7. Luke 7, verse 1. It says, now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant, who was very dear to him, was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal a servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Now we have to introduce this guy here, the centurion. The centurion was most likely a Gentile, not a Jew. He was in the Roman army. Hence the term centurion. That means he was in command of probably at least 100 plus soldiers. So think about this for a while. This is the guy that Jesus is going to minister to. Jesus was sent to the Jews to die for the Jews. And to eventually, years later, to rule Israel the way it was supposed to be ruled as king. So who is Jesus ministering to? A Gentile who is a Roman whose job is to military occupy Israel. And that's who Christ ministers to. I love this because what happens is every now and then someone comes up and they make some comment about how they can't come to Christ because of their past, their background. Oh boy, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus wants you to come to him with no matter what you've had in the past, your background, no matter how much dirty laundry you have, Christ is there to minister to you. Here is a Gentile Roman soldier who is military occupying Israel and God still ministers to. Boy, what what a picture of love. So this is who he And he's got this servant who's very dear to him, verse 2. That word dear literally means prized. It means precious. Now, you all have somebody like that in your life. I don't know who it is. It may be your child. It may be your spouse. It may be your friend. I don't know. Put yourself in this story here for an example. You have somebody who's very dear to you, that child, that friend, that spouse. They're physically we are spiritually suffering. we are sick, and you don't know what to do. Your hands are tied. There's nothing you can do. You're spiritually, physically suffering, and you don't know what to do. What are you supposed to do? Well, the answer is found here in verse 3. Go to Christ. Plead with Him. Some of your translations say the word ask. It's actually a stronger word than ask. It, it literally almost means to beg. Now, I want to make sure you understand that this is not beg in the sense that we think of. Like, we have to beg because God's up in heaven. He doesn't want to help us. And so we just have to keep begging and begging and begging and pulling at the pant leg of God the Father... Finally, we wear him down, and he answers our prayer. No. It's this idea that this is so near and dear to us that we want him so bad. In fact, verse 4, it says they begged him earnestly. That word literally means call for help to literally come to my side. i got five kids at home. I hear this all the time. No matter what room I'm in, there's somebody in another room calling for me. Dad, can you come here? And they use the same tone of voice. Sometimes it's an emergency. There's blood on the floor. Other times they see a speck of dust go through the sun. They think it's really cool. Dad, come here. you got to see this. Okay, I'll come to your side. That's exactly what that word is trying to tell us there. See, here's the problem. God is telling us in this, in this example, whatever you're facing, ask Christ to come to your side to help you through it. Now, that's such an easy point. Why don't we do that? We don't do it because we have a tendency to analyze everything, don't we? We look at the situation we're facing, and we say, okay, this is a big one. This is a God situation. I need to pray about this one. I need to ask for prayer on this one. I maybe need to fast on this one. This is a big one. Oh, this is a small one. I can handle this one on my own. And we have this tendency to analyze, and so we don't take everything to Christ. Great verse. If you're taking notes, write it down. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your cares upon him. And that word all literally means what? All. Everything. You cast all your cares upon him. Because what happens in life, we run into situations that we think we can handle. I got this one. Next thing you know, you're in big trouble. Laden. our fourth one. Two. He likes to try to dress himself. That's what he likes to do. And so what happens is he has this tendency to put two legs in one hole, or he has a tendency to put a head and an arm through an arm hole. And what happens then is he just totally loses it. He just completely loses it. He came out of the bathroom the other day looking like a mermaid. He had two legs through one hole and he hopped himself down the thing. All in tears. So what happens is when we hear him lose it, we come to him, we say, Layden, what's our word? And he says, calm. We're trying to teach him calm. So he says, calm. And then we say, Layden, what are you supposed to do when you get yourself in trouble? He goes, ask for help. But at two years old, he doesn't want to ask for help. He wants to do it himself. So he gets two legs in one hole, and then he doesn't know what to do. He's laying on the ground, and then he finally calls for help. Same thing happens spiritually to you and I. You and I are just spiritual two-year-olds. God, I got this one. I got it. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. Oh, now I got two legs in one hole. Lord, help me. We do the same thing. See, what, what I'm learning as I go through this is, Why not just take it right to Christ? Where's this pride come from that I got this one, Lord? This is not a big deal. I can handle this one. You just take some time off. Boy, the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells me to lean not on my own understanding. So I don't understand anything. I don't have any wisdom on my own. In every situation, I need to give it over to the Lord. I give it to Him. I use these words. I ask Him. I I plead my case before Him in the sense of, Lord, as my Savior, as my Father, I know you want to come to my side and help me. Dad, Daddy, I need you. Help me in all things. And that's exactly what happens here. So they come, ask for help. Look at the response of Christ. Verse 6. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but I say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this does now this is a wonderful example power of two things humbleness this man was so humble that he says don't don't even come to my house i'm not worthy of this just just you just need to say the word and it can be taken care of let's talk about this faith thing for a second turn if we go to hebrews 11 please hebrews 11 i'm willing to bet a lot of you here this morning have a situation going on in your life right now and there's an element in your brain where you're like yeah but can god take care of this one okay yeah he heals the servant Okay, in a few verses, he he raises the young man dead. I get it. I know he created the world in six days. I know he he parted the Red Sea. I know Jonah and the great fish. I know all that. But... Can he really take care of this as you're going to Hebrews 11? Can he really fix these relationship issues? Can he really take care of my job stuff? Can he really provide my finances? Can he really help me through this time of sickness? Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's stop there for a second. Faith. This is what we're talking about. This is a building block here for right now. I didn't watch every one of you come in, but I'm willing to bet everyone you came in and just sat down on your chair that you're sitting on. There. I don't think any of you got on your hands and feet and checked out every bolt and every screw just to make sure this chair was going to support. I'm willing to bet that when you guys leave or when you got up this morning, maybe you did, I don't know, I doubt you popped your hood and said, hey honey, before we take off, I want to check all the brake lines and fluid levels, tire pressures, I want to check the battery connections. I bet most of you got in your car, stuck your key in, turned it, and you just went. It's amazing, we have faith in chairs, we have faith in vehicles. When it comes to faith in God, we have a tendency to say, I got this one. Isn't that amazing? He says, you have to trust me. Verse 11, the things that you hope for, the things that you don't even see You have to trust me, verse 2. For by it, elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Very simply put, and I can remember all the way back to my Sunday school days, I had his teacher tell me, if you can believe Genesis 1:1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, she goes, you can believe anything. If you believe that God formed this world and created this world in six days, then what can top that? I mean, what, what are you facing in your life that's bigger than creating something out of nothing? nothing? God says, have faith. And he goes on and talks about the faith of Abel. In verse 5, the faith of Enoch. But look at verse 6. But without faith... It is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. See, if you want to, for lack of a better word, make God happy, trust him. See, we think we're going to make God happy. Look at me, Lord, I'm going to read a whole bunch of Bible verses today. I'm going to pray for a really long time. And I'm going to help a bunch of old ladies across the street. I'm going to do all these things for you, and you're really going to like me. Is he pleased with those things? Yeah. But if you look in the Bible, what really makes God pleased is when you just trust him. When you say, I have faith in my Lord and Savior that he's going to take care of me. Now, for some, that's really easy. For others, boy, you hold on to so much in your life, you don't let the Lord take care of any of it. Maybe you give him just a little. Okay, Lord, this one's really big. I'll let you take a shot at it, but I'll hold everything else close to the chest. Let's give it all over to him. You don't need to turn there, but in James 1 it says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and will be given to him. If you need wisdom, ask God, he gives it. Verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For not let that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. A lot of times people come up to me and say, I pray and nothing happens. And I sometimes say, Are you praying in faith? Because God makes it clear. If you're just whole hum giving it over to him, Lord, you know the situation. I need some help at work. I appreciate you if you'd help me with it. Thank you. Amen. That's not a lot of faith. Lord, I'm giving you the situation. You're the only one that can move in this. I can't do anything, Lord. I this is yours. And I trust that you're gonna move. I believe you're gonna move. I have faith you're gonna move. God likes faith. Because it shows that we're putting him on the top pedestal of our life. So whatever you're facing, jobs, finances relationships, health, spiritual struggles, put God at the forefront of that and in faith, believe He still moves, He still works, and He's still doing amazing things. That is what pleases God. Because look at the response there that Jesus has in verse 9, back in Luke 7. When Jesus heard these things, He marveled at Him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed Him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel, and those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. Do you realize what happened in verse 9? Jesus was impressed. You know how big of a deal that is to impress God? I mean, this is God. He was impressed with what? Faith. He was impressed that this man said, just say the word, and he's healed. Look at this whole story here, this review. We have the Gentile Roman military leader that's military occupying Israel. Jesus still is going to help him. Jesus heals his servant. Do you realize the servant never met Jesus. The centurion never physically met Jesus. All this happens in just communication of words. This is very encouraging to me, because you know what? All my prayers with Jesus are what? Communication of words. Christ, I've never met him in the physical flesh. He's never come down, and I've never met him. But I can see in this example right here, God still moves and works just through words and faith. So I can still have the same words and faith of, Lord, I know that you can still do things in my life, and I trust that you're going to take care of this situation. Even though I may not ever meet Christ physically in the flesh on this earth, I know that he still moves, he still hears, he still listens, and faith is the trigger that pulls that. It's important. It's important to trust that God knows what he's doing. It's important to do that. Now, what's going on the next one here? I should say, back up for a second. Before we go on, I want to share this. I had, I had you go to Isaiah 61. And we talked about how God brings comfort to those who mourn and God brings beauty to ashes. I find this fascinating because if you look back in verse 1 of uh, Luke 7, he's in Capernaum. Capernaum means village comfort. Isn't He's in the village of comfort and what does Jesus do? He brings comfort to the sick servant and to the centurion. Just like Isaiah 61 says God brings comfort to those who mourn. He still does the same thing today. Let's see what happens next verse 11. Now it happened the day after they went to the city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and it was a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man who was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. Now, just just envision this. Jesus is coming into Nain. According to verse 11, he's got a big crowd. Now, I don't want to add to scriptures. I'm just going to throw out my opinion. I bet you Jesus was probably a pretty happy guy to be around. I don't think anybody ever said, Boy, don't go talk to Jesus today. He's in a bad mood. I don't think anybody ever said that. I bet when you traveled with Jesus, it was kind of fun. You may get a free meal. You know, you may see a dead person raised. There was an excitement of being with Christ. So verse 11, this large crowd is going into this city. They're probably happy, walking with Jesus. Well, this large crowd of happiness hits verse 12. This large crowd of sadness, they meet. Now, what an interesting example. Joy and sadness and sorrow all of a sudden run right into each other. And this is not just sadness. This is verse 12. She's a widow, her only son died. Now from New Testament biblical perspective, she's got nothing. There's no one to help her, there's no one to take care of her, there's nothing. Plus you have to remember from New Testament Bible when a Jewish person died, they did not embalm back then. So they had the funeral right away. This is a very fresh emotional wound. This is a woman that has literally lost everything she has and now she's burying her only child and here's this large crowd of sadness that then moves to this large crowd of joy. I mean. Now I, I tell you this, I think this happens more often than what we realize. Some of you came in here today and you're, you're just happy. It's a good day. You're walking in joy. Things are clicking. Things are great. Some of you came in here today and it was a struggle just to get here. Now you may have a smile on your face but deep down inside you're really struggling. This happens all the time. All the time. I'll get a phone call from somebody and no matter what position I am, we need to relate to what they're going through. Here's the verse, if you're taking notes, I'd like you to write this down. It's uh, Romans 12:15. Romans 12, 15 says, Weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. See, part of being a Christian is that I can let go of my good days and weep with you on your bad days. See, because Jesus does this. Look at verse 13. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. One translation says that his heart went out to her. Jesus was willing to let go of the joy that he was walking in and say, this woman is hurting. I need to go meet her and minister to her. Can you imagine if verse 13 said when the Lord saw her, Jesus said I don't want to deal with this today and he went the other way? Jesus specifically went to the woman that was hurting and said, I'm going to minister to her. That's what Christianity does. If I'm having a good day and I'm rejoicing and you call me up and you're having a bad day, my good day gets put on hold and I weep with those who weep. Now, if I'm having a bad day and you call me up and you got great, amazing news, I put my bad day on hold and I rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, that's easier said than done because we all have people that's really difficult to do. You probably all know somebody That if you have great news and you call them up and you say, Hey, guess what? I got great news. Their response is, Well, at least you got great news. My life's miserable. I mean, those are just downers of people to be around. You probably all have somebody at work. It's like, Oh, Fred. Fred's here. I don't want to be around Fred. Fred just brings me down. I'm just not dealing with Fred today. I don't care what Fred's got going on. I'm in a good mood, and I'm not going to let Fred bring me down. See, that's what we do. If I'm in a bad mood, I don't want to be around anybody happy. How dare you have joy when you realize how suffering my life is. Misery loves company. Or if I'm in a great mood and you're having a rough day... Mentally, don't come around me. Don't you dare bring me down. See, Christianity says I put all my emotions on hold and I minister to those that need to be ministered to. No matter what I'm facing, no matter what I'm feeling, no matter what I'm doing, that's unconditional Christ-like love. It's tough to do. It's tough to make those sacrifices. In truth be told, most of the sacrifices we make in life They're so minute. It's a passage in Hebrews that says you have not resisted to the point of bloodshed. I've been walking with the Lord for 19 years. been the pastor out here for 12. I've never resisted to the point of bloodshed yet on the cross. But boy, I complain about things. I complain about a lot of stuff. I just don't let you know it. I'll share one with you here. Fridays are family days at at the Irvin house. So we like to do stuff. So what we like to do is the boys like to sleep, all of us together, for family day. That's that's their favorite thing. They want to sleep on the couch. Now, when I was 8, sleeping on the couch is fun. When you're 35, sleeping on the couch is miserable. But they want to sleep on the couch. So, we had some stuff going on Friday, so we slept on the couch Thursday. So, there's the four boys and me, and we're, we're sleeping on the couch. Okay. Everybody's happy. Everybody's fun. It was great. We made it through life goes on Friday comes around well Friday We had some of the boys stayed some other place and some of the boys stayed home Well, one of the ones that stayed home Friday wanted to sleep on the couch again Okay, we can sleep on the couch again So get the couch ready and get ready to sleep on the couch for day two and then all of a sudden The one boy was having a really rough time and he so dawn said just come sleep in bed with with me And so therefore he goes and sleeps with dawn in bed and guess what? I'm sleeping on the couch alone. I don't know how that happened. Dawn and I didn't even have a fight, and I'm still sleeping on the couch alone. So Dawn now has had two days in a row of the nice comfy bed. So finally, now it's Saturday night. It's about 10.30, I said, I'm ready to go to bed. You know, gotta get up early for church tomorrow. I'm ready, so I get in my bed. And about 11.30 or so, one of the boys starts crying. Layden, who's two, and he was having a rough time. His nap schedule got out of line, so here he is, a wide awake, He's 11.45, he's a little scared, et cetera. So I go in there, and, and, I, and I get with him, and I'm laying down with him. We're praying, we're talking, and his little eyes are just wide awake. He's not going to bed anytime soon. So guess what I do last night? I sleep on a twin-size bed with a two-year-old. You know, the Bible doesn't give a very vivid description of hell, but it's a twin <laughs> bed with a two-year-old. So this is now day three of Dawn sleeping in the comfy bed and me not sleeping in the comfy bed at all. But, but the point is, and you guys, if you have kids, if you have anybody close... Why Why did you go? Because that little guy's having a rough time. So you, you stop what you're doing, you let go of your comfy bed, and, and you go spay, stay with him. Now that's just something small. Now let's go deeper, more spiritual. Can, can I let go of my good days and weep with those who weep? Can I let go of my bad days? and rejoice with those who rejoice. To be quite honest, that's a sign of maturity. Because what I see a lot of times in my life and other people's life is the, quite the opposite. I'm having a bad day and don't you dare try to cheer me up. You know, just don't. I'm having a good day and I just don't want to deal with that right now. I'm sorry, I just don't want to deal with it, your your drama right now. Boy, Christianity is dealing with drama. I heard someone say one time in a teaching, Christianity is messy. It's a messy thing because you're always around people struggling and hurting and having difficult times. And Jesus is the great example here, verse 13, when he sees the woman hurting, his heart goes out to when he says, do not. He's going to put his life, his ministry on hold and say, I'm going to minister to this woman who's hurting. Verse 14. Then he came and touched the open coffin. And those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all. And they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen up among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding What an amazing thing. Did you realize what this woman In an instant, utter, complete devastation, dare I say the lowest part of her point of her life, joy. That's what Christ does. Just like that. Capernaum means village of comfort. Nain means beauty. God gives beauty for ashes. It's like Isaiah 61 says. Here is death, the lowest point that we can face in life, yet Beauty or ashes. That's an amazing thing. Every time we sing that song, Victory in Jesus, it just it keeps hitting me more and more again. That passage in Corinthians, which that song is based out of, Oh, death, where is your sting? Because we have victory in Jesus. Now, I've never seen Christ come down in the flesh, touch a coffin, and see the dead rise. But I have seen Christ raise the dead before spiritually. Turn if go to Romans 6. Let's talk about this for a second. Because what you see here is a neat picture of Christ and what he does. He reaches out to us at our lowest state, touches the death of our life, the coffin of our life. And next thing you know, there's life. Romans 6, please. Let's go ahead and start here in verse 3 of Romans 6, please. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. That's what it means to be born again. Christ took us when we were dead to sin and made us alive in Christ. Just like he went to that coffin, he touched that coffin, which was death. And as he touched that coffin, Christ took death turned it into life. He does the same thing still today. So here's the thing. If you're born again and saved, you know what it means to go from death to life. But the thing is, sometimes when people aren't saved, they're dead. They don't even realize. Well, they think they have life. They think they have joy. They think they have moments of happiness. They're really spiritually dead. And we have to come to a realization before we can really experience life in Christ that I am just dead to sin. Yes, I may be walking around. Yes, I may be moving. Yes, I may be living life But as soon as my last breath on this earth happens, I'm dead to sin and hell forever. I need Christ to come touch me, as it says in verse 4, and give me newness of life. My sins have to be dealt with. That sin problem has to be taken care of. Verse 5, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Amen. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. The old James, that old lifestyle used to live, is now dead that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. See, I don't have to keep hitting repeat on my life. I don't need to keep going through the same junk that i've gone through again i don't need to live in this fear of you know what it's been a couple good weeks i haven't done anything really stupid oh i bet i'm going to do something again because that's what happens i don't have to live my life in fear of you know what right now in my marriage it's a couple good days but i bet you it's going to get bad again i don't have to live my life and you know what i remember when i was struggling with finances right now it's good but it's going to get bad again i just know it no i don't have to live my life in this repeat of failure because no matter what i face god is going to give me what Comfort for mourning and beauty for ashes. He'll get me through it. It still may not be easy. It still may be difficult There may be some ups and downs But I have faith to trust that no matter what I'm facing. He's going to get me through the struggle That's what he's gonna do because what do we see here verse 8 now if we have died with Christ We believe that we should also live with him knowing that Christ having been dead raised from the dead dies No more death no longer has dominion over him for the death that he died He died to sin once for all but the life that he lives he lives to God so Paul now makes this wonderful point here. He says, guys, you've died with Christ, you can now live. All those things you struggle with, Christ can give you life for. All that life that you've wasted, he says he can give you life for. problem is we know all this, but we don't get it from our head to our heart. We know it. I mean, we can repeat it, but we don't get it from our head to our heart. That's why he throws verse 11 in. Likewise, you also. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 11, Paul comes out and says, guys, highly paraphrased, Do goes, you get this? He goes, don't just know it. He goes, believe it. See, that's walking in faith. Walking in faith is when you realize I will have victory in Jesus. Walking in faith is when you realize I am mourning right now, but God will bring me comfort. Walking in faith is when you realize my life is burned down to ashes, but God will give me beauty. Walking in faith is when you realize he still heals his servant with just a word. He still touches the coffin of our dead lives and brings us back to life in Christ. That's walking in faith. So when you know this, verse 12 Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Very simply put in verse 13, you're going to make a choice every day of your life. Are you going to make a choice to go deeper in your walk and relationship with the Lord, or are you going to make a choice to go farther away from your walk in relationship with the Lord? Every choice we make has consequences, and we have to decide... What are we going to do how, how are we going to handle this do i choose to go deeper or do i choose to stay away from the lord which one's it going to be i used to struggle at that point i used to burden myself so i would look at verse 13 and i would say okay everything i do takes me either closer to the lord or brings me farther away so i would look at my life and i would feel this burden to make sure every action i do something deep in the lord and then i had all these actions that i were doing that didn't seem really deep in the Lord. Okay, Lord, I'm going to go out and mow the lawn for you. For you, Jesus, I will mow this lawn. That didn't seem really deep and spiritual, and I really didn't know how to handle that. You know, I got a half-hour drive to the hospital visit. Lord, I'm going to drive for Jesus. You know, I didn't really get it. And I heard a teaching one time by Bob Coy. Where he says there's really three things in life. He goes, there's things that take you deeper in your walk with the Lord. There's things that take you farther away when you walk with the Lord. And I like that, okay. And I was waiting, what's the middle? And then he goes, there's this neutral thing that neither takes you deeper nor takes you farther away. I thought, what a cop-out answer here. But then he explained it. He says, it's what you do in that neutral time that determines how much farther you want to go in the Lord. And he gave the example, wouldn't you know it, of mowing the lawn. He says, you're out there mowing the lawn. He goes, that's a very neutral thing. He goes, you can choose to listen to praise music. You can choose to pray while you do those things. Then he mentioned commuting. He goes, a lot of you have a commute, maybe a half hour, 45 minutes. You can either use that commute of stress. Oh, it's going to be a bad day today. You can use that commute on the way home of complaining. I can't believe they made me do it. Or you can use that commute of listening to praise music and prayer. He goes, you can take those neutral things of life and then use them to go deeper in the walk and relationship with the Lord. Oh, wow, that's what it is. It's just being heavenly-minded in all you do and all you say. You're doing some menial tasks like the dishes that doesn't really take a lot of thought. Great time to pray. Great time to have some praise music going on in the background. Just a great time to really use those little moments to say, Lord, I really want to do everything I can for you. I want to be alive in Christ and dead to sin. And what you see here, back in our example, Capernaum, village of Comfort, vain, name excuse me, which means beauty. We see that, that God still gives comfort to those who mourn, and he gives beauty for ashes, just like he said he would in Isaiah 61. He fulfilled exactly what he said. Once again, I don't know where you're at right now. You may be in the first story here today where faith is tough for you, and you need to trust that the Lord still moves and works even though you don't see it. And trust that. You may be in the second story today where you're at the end of your rope, and you are just destroyed emotionally, spiritually, physically, and you're just walking this walk of mourning and death. You need Christ to come down and touch your life and realize the strength that he has. No matter where you're at, no matter what's going on, he gives comfort to those who mourn his beauty. Freshers. That's the promise of what we see this morning. We believe that. And Marv, we're to come forward here for the final song. Just to remind you and encourage you. Hope you can make it out tonight. It's going to be a great presentation, 7 o'clock.